I'm not making this up. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? This is the Bourne Retrospective Series by Now Playing. Jason Bourne, welcome to the program. Hosted by Jacob. We are all trained to kill, but he was the best. Stuart. He's seen things. He knows things. And Arnie. They don't make mistakes. They don't do random. There's always an objective, always a target. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Is it all let me notice? You never wanted to before. Listener discretion is advised. This is not a drill, soldier. We're clear on that. This is a live project. You're a go. We'll see you on the other side. Today we're discussing The Born Supremacy, starring Matt Damon, Franca Potenta, kind of. We're still second build, I don't know. Brian Cox, <laughs> Julia Stiles, now making it into the top building, although still probably not deserve it. Carl Judge Dredd Urban. Carl Urban's in this? Carl Urban, I know. David Jim, I'm an assassin, not a politician. Oh, now I can, now I can picture him, okay. Gabriel Mann and Joan Allen, directed by Paul Greengrass. This is your born podcaster, Arnie. Stewart in LA. I am a patriot. I serve my country. I podcasted. This is Jacob. The Born Supremacy coming two years after The Born Identity. I do love how so many movies, they come out, they do well. They get that sequel out there damn fast. They never get part threes out in two years. But part twos, they often get just two years later. And here we are in 2004, Born is back. With most of the creative team intact, although the most important one, excised assassinated you might even say doug lyman <laughs> is nowhere involved he was the guiding force of that last movie and he has been asked to disappear for this one and will not return to the franchise he's off making mr and mrs smith yeah i noticed he went on to do other actiony films of lesser note but i watched all the bonus features everything they acted like it was the same ship being steered here i didn't even really notice that it was a different guy even doing the commentary they both even had accents no i definitely feel like it's a different director yeah paul greengrass who i think the only other thing i've seen by him is united 93 yeah that is probably his most famous non-born movie as he made the docudrama about that unfortunate 9-11 flight and then the movie that got him the gig bloody sunday about an Irish conflict in the 70s. I've seen that one as well. Although a long time ago, I don't remember it, but I remember it was shot 
like a documentary. And so it had this handheld quality that I feel is really accentuated this time. This movie is going to go even further. It's going to take that realism we had last week, but it's going to make it even more of a handheld camera experience. Yeah, I definitely feel that in the style here. They Again, United 93, yeah, docudrama. It almost feels like he wants to do that here with a little bit of a shaky cam on the way we'll zoom in at times. Definitely. And yeah, he is the one change here. They got him because of Bloody Sunday. And everyone else, the screenwriter, Tony Gilroy, is the same. The same composer, the same cinematographer even. Obviously the same cast. Yeah, I guess the stuff I mentioned last week about Lyman going over schedule and over budget and everything is... he's not here he doesn't have a particularly great reputation when it comes to being on sets and production i just know that yeah they tend to go over budget they tend to be chaotic he gives a lot of guff back to studio and maybe that's to you know the better of the movie i don't want to judge him for that born is probably better for all the things he insisted the studios not do to it but because he was so problematic, I think that they were just like, we don't want to deal with him anymore. I do know this. I know that Lyman wouldn't even let the screenwriter Tony Gilroy read the novel. He was like, you're going to read the version that I write up for you. You'll read my summary and you write the script from that. <laughs> but you don't need to read the source material. So maybe controlling was the issue. I don't know. I guess this is a good time to ask on how much... You said there's a Born Supremacy novel. I feel like this could almost be a continuation of that last film or that last book. I feel like we're going to find out about David Webb this time. Is this based on the book at all? Well, the screenwriter Tony Gilroy did read the book and mined it for a little bit of inspiration, but there's no way that they could directly adapt Born Supremacy, the 1986 novel. Why? It was all about the 1997 handover of Hong Kong from the British to China. That was the major plot point, and that had already happened seven years before the release of this movie. So there's no way to... I mean, I guess you could make it like a retro thriller, but that wouldn't be very exciting, I don't think. And also a very expensive movie with much more violence. There's a lot of reasons not to make The Bourne Supremacy the way that it appeared on the page, but most first and foremost is that the world had passed, that there was no longer a need to be concerned about what would happen to Hong Kong after China got control. And what I found very interesting is Ludlum never intended to write a sequel to The Bourne Identity, and he'd been pressured to do it, and he just didn't want to write another Bourne book, and finally... He decided he wanted to write, he didn't consider it a sequel so much as another chapter in Bourne's life. And I think the same thing happened with the movie. Damon and Lyman didn't intend there to be a franchise, and for Lyman there wasn't. But the success of the film, and yeah, they fast-tracked this, got green grass in, and you know, as far as changes of director go, this one must have worked because... Damon and Greengrass have been just completely joined at the hip like that Bad Matt Damon movie stuck on you ever since this one. It's like Greengrass will come back if Damon does. Damon will come back if Greengrass does. So something worked. He did make Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks and not Matt Damon. But by and large, yes, when Greengrass works, he works with Matt Damon. And it just seems to be a fruitful partnership. I think it's really tough when you're working with studio money and studio pressures to find an ally that you trust that's going to carry the vision that you want. I think that's what they really forge here with Born Supremacy. Now, Arnie, you, you're the fan of this series. For me, this almost feels like Mission Impossible, just where uh, I'm kind of lukewarm. Like, I remember with Mission Impossible, I'm like, 
I think I saw the second one. I'm not sure. That's how this one was. I think I maybe saw it. And I definitely saw like the first half hour because I remember Marie and what happens to her. Everything else was new for me. I must have caught this on cable TV and watched like the opening of it and then changed the channel. But Artie, you're the fan. You were there to see it in theaters. And not just by himself with me. We saw this together. I don't know if you recall, but I was visiting for the summer. I remember this very well. Yes, this is how we got to see AVP. You saw it twice. (laughs) We paid ticket price, I'm proud to say, for Born Supremacy, and then decided that this was at a time when movie theaters did not have great ushers and there was no assigned seating. We could just walk into the theater right next door afterwards. That's right. On Friday the 13th, for those who listen to our predator series years ago we talked about avp friday the 13th 2004 i couldn't have been more excited for avp saturday the 14th i couldn't have been more hating of avp Stuart, you're the alien fan we were gonna go see the born supremacy and i was just bitching 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 about avp afterwards you're like Well, let's just see. I need to see a couple minutes of this to see if it's that bad. I thought we were just going to sit for a couple minutes because I did not want to sit through AVP again, ever. (laughs) Yeah. And you, we walk in like right at the end of opening credits and you just take a seat. I'm like, oh, we're staying? (laughs) That was an unwelcome surprise. Well, you know, feel free to walk down the hall. I don't think I would have held you to it, but you can understand my curiosity. I was your ride. Well, yes, it's Springfield. I could have walked, but I appreciate that you were able to do that for me. It could not have been easy. We were at Showplace. You would have had a good five or six miles, but... I'm not sure I would have done it for you, given how bad AVP was for me to sit through. Whatever my recommendation is, The Bourne Ultimatum was the best film I saw that weekend. (laughs) Well, then, why don't you tell them what you saw with a plot summary? It's been two years since Treadstone was shut down, And Matt Damon's ex-assassin Jason Bourne has been living on the run with girlfriend Marie, played again by Franca Patenta. But the CIA is not done with him. Deputy Director Ward Abbott, again played by Brian Cox, is about to be uncovered as the financier of a Russian oil tycoon. Cox stole $20 million of CIA money, and to cover it up, Treadstone had Bourne murder a Russian politician and his wife. Now, CIA Deputy Director Pamela Landy, played by Joan Allen, is about to uncover all of this. So Abbott gets the Russian oil baron to send a hitman to end the deal. Sent in is Kirill, played by Carl Urban, completely unrecognizable in my mind. Okay, thank you. So I'm not totally absent for not catching him here. No, it wasn't until the bonus features I'm like, wait, that's Carl Urban? A, I didn't know Carl Urban was a Kiwi. He does an American accent very well. I mean, I never would have imagined Bones McCoy a Kiwi. And B, he looks nothing like Bones with the new Trek film. I'm like squinting. I do not see it here. I feel like he's different in every movie. Dread, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, this. Like, he's never got the same face. He's the one getting that Richard Chamberlain plastic surgery in every film to look different. He was in Riddick and he's going to be in the new Thor. But yes, he's here as Kirill. And Kirill kills two CIA operatives and plants Bourne's fingerprints. And then Kirill heads to India, where Bourne and Marie are living, 
to kill Bourne. But Kirill fails and kills only Marie, inciting Bourne to vengeance. He investigates, eventually ending in Berlin, where Landy has set up operations. Bourne recognizes CIA support tech Nikki Parsons, again played by Julia Stiles, and kidnaps her to find out why the CIA is trying to kill him. Nikki leads Bourne to Abbott, who confesses his plot, and Bourne gets him on tape, so Abbott shoots himself in the head, and with Bourne vindicated, he goes to Moscow to apologize to the daughter of the Russian politician he killed. But in Moscow, he's again attacked by Kirill, and in a thrilling car chase, Bourne T-bones Kirill against a cement divider, killing him. And then Bourne calls Landy, who tells Bourne his real name is David Webb, and asks him to meet her, but he refuses as credits roll. And for those of you that had problems last week with a movie that was cut maybe a little too fast for you, none of that is going to be corrected here. We got the same editors <laughs> as well, and it starts with a very disorienting... I actually think the shot lengths are even shorter in this movie. The movie's 10 or 15 minutes shorter than the last one. Yeah, this one could actually... Yeah, you're right, and it's probably all due to the trimming of the editing. It's the same amount of story, but yeah... It, it's almost epileptic that it's cut so fast here. It's meant to distract. It opens with a nightmare that Bourne is still having bad dreams, still having headaches, still thinking about Conklin and his training mission. And so what's built into this movie, much like the African warlord subplot of last time, is this idea that he made this kill in a hotel room. And what does it all mean? All right. This is two movies and i'm just gonna put it right out here right now the plots that Bourne is trying to uncover that he was involved in are really so unimportant and so uninteresting and so convoluted i hope that this gets cleaner and more important later but in the last one wambosi was really an afterthought and the fact that we actually saw him killed later on it didn't really help anything here it's important to know Abbott is the bad guy and he's done something bad, but exactly what and exactly how it ties to whom, I don't feel that this movie does a great job of explaining it. It basically comes down to someone tried to kill Bourne and Bourne's pissed. Yeah, Artie, the last film you said you didn't feel there was bad guys, there was antagonists. Maybe that's the Bourne thing, the Bourne villain, the Bourne villainry or something here, where there's something about a Russian oil baron and... Abbott's doing something and Conklin's got some hidden fund. I don't know what it all means, but I'm able to follow along with the basic plot here. But I don't ask me about the specifics. I didn't think it was that hard to follow here. I mean, we'll get into it as we get into the movie, but maybe it's just that it doesn't feel important. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I disagree with that as well. But I think what we really establish more than Abbott being a bad guy, that comes later. What we're really establishing here is that our star... Jason Bourne is not clean. Remember, last time, he didn't kill the warlord. He saw the children and said, I'm a good guy, I can't do this, and jumped out the window. But he does kill people, and we're going to see that throughout the course of these returns to this Berlin hotel room. But when we find him here, he's actually in India, still with Marie. Who would have guessed? I might have thought that they would James Bond this and he might have met someone else. No, they do James Bond it and they kill her at the next film like they did his wife. 
Yeah, that's not a James Bond move, though. James Bond usually bags the woman and moves on. That was the anomaly that he got married and his wife got assassinated. But I never thought of Damon the same as James Bond. They're, yeah, they're both spies, but... The initials. True. But And I guess they're just running mopeds in India now instead of Greece or wherever they were at the end of that last film. They're always on the run. I think that's the point, is that they couldn't stay at the Vespa place because they keep being worried about being found out. And it's hard to know whether that's paranoia or legitimacy. I mean, we're going to see there's a reason they need to be running from the Russians here. But up to this point, that may just be because Bourne is kind of crazy. Yeah, he's starting to remember things, and Marie tells him to write it down, and he's starting to have that memory come back. That's where we get that flashback thing at the beginning here. It's bits and pieces. And like I said in the last show, I thought when he was having his talk with Conklin, he basically had a memory reboot and got all of it back, you know? And so here... This was a little jarring for me to realize, oh, he's still having dreams and lost memories. He still doesn't know who he used to be. So he didn't really make a choice to be good so much as he's just continued doing what he's done ever since he fell off that damn boat. No, I, I felt like he was making a choice to decide who he was going to be. That Whatever goes on with these Treadstone agents, they're brainwashed. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in the Ultimatum. Maybe we'll find out... In one of those other sequels, but it feels like his journey was to make his own choices instead of being given orders. But yet, is he really making his own choices if they're on the run? Making his own choice would be to take a stand in Greece and let Marie run her little Vespa store, right? Well, I don't. Maybe he doesn't want to fight, and we don't know what happened in Greece. We, do we know why they're on the run? Why they're in India? Or are we just to assume it's because he's Jason Bourne and this is what he has to do? I assume that it is coming from him. That he is, you know, he'll have a jog here early on where he just sees a guy twice and he's like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Now, he happens to be right, but I kept thinking <laughs> that might just happen all the time. He's like, I saw this guy at the milk line and then I saw him down at the grocery <laughs> store and he's going to kill us and we got to go. So that may be why he keeps running. It's like that scene in the diner, though, in the last film where he's like, I could tell the guy's weight. I know how fast I can run in the snow. Like, he's able to pick up on his car. It's not just that he sees him twice and he's got the wrong car and the wrong kind of walk or whatever. Uh, you know, it, I, I say it somewhat for a comedic effect, but I my general sense is there's no real reason to run. We will find out that Treadstone is indeed shut down, closed, not happening, and nobody is trying to restart it. Nobody is trying to do anything with it. It's actually the fact that there's this operation going down in Berlin that makes it relevant again. That we have Pamela Landy, played by forever Frost Queen Joan Allen. Boy, this is her <laughs> wheelhouse. From the contender to Nixon, she has always been playing, yes, uh, difficult presidential women. And she is targeting a deal in which a CI operative is buying secrets about an assassinated Russian politician from 10 years before. And that history of the politician ties back to Abbott. Am I the only one who got big Manhunter flashbacks with her and Brian Cox, Hannibal Lecter here together? Came out later. I didn't think about it watching the movie. It was only later that I'm like, oh yeah, they did do that. You know. But yeah, here I view her as the new Conklin, right? She's a CIA operative. She's in charge of missions. We see her at the beginning. She's wait, you know, she's obviously middle management because she's waiting to be given the go ahead on this and she's pushing, but the people who really make the decisions are in another room somewhere. And so 
while she will prove to be very competent, this opening scene doesn't paint her as someone in charge. So what she's going to be uncovering, she's going to be uncovering against the wishes of those above her. And yeah, this little mission here where they're planting the fingerprints. All right, this took me back to that goddamn TV movie. Remember when they planted the fingerprints on the glass? I know, I, me too. <laughs> I think it is a carryover from that. I think it was, they realized that was something that they wanted to do. But keep in mind, she's not in charge of the planting of those fingerprints. She is watching her operative buy secrets from a, a vault. It is Kirill that is coming in and overturning her operation by turning off the power and making it look like Jason Bourne did it. Yeah, they say something like they think there's a mole in the operation, someone's releasing secrets, and I I guess we'll find out who that is definitely by the end of this film, but that's who's letting whatever his name is, Carl Urban, know where to go to plant these bombs. Yeah, Carl Urban works for the head of a Russian oil company that has done very well in the last seven years because we'll find out they got a huge investment of funds from the CIA that 20 million was stolen through a wiretap and it wound up in the pockets of this oil baron and now he has the money to pay hitmen to go and cover it up when secrets are about to be unearthed what is in these files we'll find out among many things is the fact that Abbott and this Russian Yuri stole U.S. CIA money and got personally rich off of it. Now, here's one thing where I just have to suspend disbelief. I can completely believe that our CIA has something akin to a treadstone, right? I can firmly believe we have super assassin agents doing missions we don't know about. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but you wouldn't have to work hard to convince me of it. However, that the equivalent agents overseas are in the private employ of oil barons is a little bit harder to believe because Kirill is as good as any Treadstone agent. He's the big bad. I don't think that's hard to believe. I mean, we have private contracted forces in the Middle East that are not U.S. military trained and you know, they could probably take on the U.S. military. That's not unheard of. More to the point, I definitely feel like they are drawing a lot of this. The last movie saw this Black Ops stuff as a Reagan-era, Iran-Contra throwback. This feels very contemporary. These feel like the criticisms that were being lobbied against Cheney, the private benefit uh, from this public oil invasion if you were i definitely get the sense that they're making pointed critical critiques about post 9-11 society they're not caught off guard this time yeah i feel like this entire 20 million dollar plot i watched this movie once regular once with all the Ustream features which admittedly it was harder to follow the plot when matt damon and the director and everybody's chatting at me and then once with the commentary again hard to follow the plot but I don't know that it made a clear delineation that the 20 million that was stolen is the 20 million that was given to the oil tycoon. It is very clear 20 million is missing, and it's very clear that Abbott calls this Yuri. Can you get a more stereotypical Russian name than Yuri? (laughs) And says that we gave you the money to do this, but that that's where the 20 million went and that Abbott profited at all i don't think that's made very clear we never see abbott living the high life we never see him enjoying the spoils of his fortune he seems to be a working guy just like anyone else at the cia Uh, my problem is that i just 
don't care about that whole plot unless Jason Bourne's going to come into it. Like, that's why I'm watching this film. And, of course, they're going to bring Bourne into it because he's going to get framed. But otherwise, I don't care that someone stole $20 million from the CIA. That's not the point of this movie. Seriously, that's the price of a toilet seat at Langley. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I remember 2003, 2004 differently, and people definitely did care, but be that as it may, they do get Jason Bourne in here because he's their fall guy. They feel like the best way of covering up who might have killed these people without them digging deeper and eventually finding out what he doesn't want them to know, Abbott sets up his old Treadstone guy for this crime and just makes him look like a rogue runaway danger that needs to be put down. Yes, let's pick our absolute best agent who's already beat our department once and make him the patsy. They don't necessarily even know that he's still alive. No, I guess they do know he's still alive, but they're counting that he's lost a step. You know, hanging out in India, like, I don't know, he looks pretty fit to me. He looks bigger, actually, here than he did the last time, Buffer. He's still running on the beach, and it made me wonder how long he can run at that altitude before his hands start to shake. Yeah, I, I don't feel like he has missed a step, but they must be counting on the fact that the years of hiding, he just isn't doing his exercises, and that, that he can be taken out by Kirill. You know, they could have two different guys. I gotta say, the fact that the guy's gotta do both the Berlin, you know, assassination, and then fly within a matter of hours to India <laughs> and find him at this beach resort, it's probably a little bit more than one person should be asked to do, particularly if you're working with oil money. But hey, whatever. We want it to be the same person. It's cleaner that way for the narrative. I didn't even notice it was the same person at first. I didn't really get a whole grasp of who it was who killed the two CIA operatives. And Carl Urban does not speak in this role. I don't think he has a single line. In Russian, not in English. Yeah, he's just this mute, stoic guy who looks really cool in shades and shoots, so he doesn't make a big impression. Only after I watched some bonus features and went, oh, that's Carl Urban? Did I really pay attention to all the places he shows up? And he's going to make a mistake. He's going to kill Bourne's woman and have to pay. Well, here's one of the things I thought they might be taking from Bourne's supremacy. One of the subplots, what gets Bourne out of retirement and back into it again, is the fact that, that someone has taken his identity and is killing in the name of Bourne. I thought they might be doing that. By planning the fingerprints and all, I thought that that might be, they're not going to do it in Hong Kong, but they're going to take those ideas and move it to Russia and Berlin and what have you. But no, it's pretty clear here that, yeah, this is the, supposed to be the end of Bourne. And one of the things I definitely remembered about my one theatrical viewing is that Marie doesn't make it too far into this movie. I remembered this jolt, but that's because it was such a big surprise when you see it in the movie here. And it's it's underplayed when they shoot her. It's not like a big dramatic scene. It's in the middle of a car chase. Like she gets shot in the neck, I think. Like it's not even very clear. And then that car just drives off the bridge right away. Like it's played. Well, I guess it's played the way I'd expect Greengrass to play it. Like just very realistic, very direct and, and not making a big deal out of it. And the actress was not exactly pleased about that she said greengrass talked to her and said listen we want this to be very realistic so you don't get a movie goodbye you know you don't get a dying declaration you're gonna be shot you're gonna go in the water you're gonna float away and that's it and then she just looks right at the camera and says i think the audience is gonna be pissed i die like this no you're wrong <laughs> 
whatever your name is in German. Well, ironically, I Marie is a character I constantly wish would be assassinated in the novels. But I like Franca's portrayal. Like, I don't want her to die here. It's like, no, no, no. They need to put this in the book, not in this movie. But she does get a moment. What it is is that you wouldn't recognize that she got hit or that she got severely hit until, you know, it's gone off the bridge and they're so far down and he's trying to open the door and you realize she's not getting out. I mean, I think we do have that moment. The Her floating away is pretty haunting and it is an image that lingers in the mind long after. Something that I've become sensitive to and it's not the end of the world for me, but I just acknowledge it and move on though, is we've discussed it on the show. I think that's why I'm sensitive to it. The women in refrigerators trope where a woman only exists to die to give the man his motivation to go on a revenge spree. I mean, we saw it in Wolverine Origins. I mean, so many of these. We see it here and you know what? It is what it is. It isn't the greatest use of the Marie character, I don't think. But it's what we get, and I'm not going to let it stick with me. No, it's it's thematically, it's very important. Post 9-11, we needed to have a 9-11. Jason needed to lose something. And this is a way of reflecting on the fact that something gets taken that's very, very painful. His most precious thing, the only person that he knows is killed. That is to give him the sense that he needs to get revenge. We're on his side. The, the journey of the movie is to find out that he has done wrong, that there are things that he has done that has led to her death, that when he is finally told that you killed Marie, he can't really deny it. Oh, he didn't kill Marie. What he's told is you killed Marie when you got in the car with her. Yeah, that's the point, that by her associating with someone that has done so much black ops bad stuff that, I mean, I don't think anyone was trying to say that 9-11 was the direct response to bad things America has done, but I think that it was an acknowledgement. I think this movie goes a long way to acknowledging that everyone needs to be clear about the grays that go on in this kind of stuff. I mean, I think that this is the story that they're telling here. This is a post 9-11 story in which Marie is the falling of the towers and the end of the movie is realizing that we're not pure, that we don't have a hero that is innocent. Ooh, and I, I think you might be reading a little much into that there. No, I'm sure of it. No, I, I feel like Marie's death, it feels more significant than when Wolverine lost his girlfriend in that awful movie. Like, one, because of the way Greengrass shoots it, that it's just so blunt and so matter-of-fact that it's not there to be exploited for, for a dramatic purpose. And then right away, what's haunting to me is how Bourne reacts to it. He burns everything. Like, he's getting ready to go on the run, and he literally burns his past his pictures everything like that life is now gone that is something he can never regain now and i feel there's more dramatic weight behind this death than you'll get a lot of times in other action films yeah and he doesn't fall to his knees and scream no and look up at the heavens it's in fact it's very contained it's very born it's non-emotive at all it's this is what needs to be done i'm going to snap into my robotic mode i'm going to clean it up and do what needs to be done and i'm going to find out who did 
did this. And so that is the journey of the movie. He will not have a moment to really cry until he's making apologies. And I, again, I think that's the theme of the movie is, is recognizing that everyone plays a role. And at the same time, Landy's finding out, you know, they're trying to find out who these fingerprints are. It traces it to something called Treadstone. She has to get authorization. I, I do like when she sits down with Cox and, and has that confrontation with him. Yeah, no, it, may, it gets you on her side. She may be middle management, but she's not stupid. She'll do what it takes to get the information that she needs and play the game. And I think what you recognize why she is not like Conklin is because she's not playing black ops. The fact that she's accountable is a good thing. You know, that she has a boss and has to explain what she's doing is a good thing. Conklin got away with doing a lot that nobody knew what he was doing. And he ended up doing some stuff that feels pretty shady. Here, I trust this woman. I don't believe that anything that she's going to do... To me, she seems more like Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive than she does like the nemesis of last movie. Now, I was happy to see Brian Cox coming back. I'll admit I was in suspense about that. I felt like they really needed to have a carry-through of the CIA from the last movie to this movie. So when Cox shows up, I'm happy. But he was kind of the better CIA boss in the last one, right? He was trying to keep Conklin accountable and ends up killing this guy who's in charge of so many assassinations. So... I never suspected, even on this rewatch, I did not remember that Abbott here is the big bad and that he is doing all this to cover up his own previous actions. Yeah, this is where it does feel like a lot of retconnings going on. Like, we'll find out Conklin was helping steal money and, oh, maybe that's why Abbott had him shot. Not because of the whole trying to cover up the Bourne thing. Like, it, it does feel like they've had to come up with a twist for Abbott's character because I felt like he before was just trying to meet some, like, congressional budgets and not spend too much money on all these black ops. But here he's definitely behind some sinister stuff. Yeah, no, and I think that's fine. I mean, to say that that's who he was last week didn't mean he didn't have skeletons in the closet. I'm sure that Joan Allen's got skeletons in the closet. The point is, nobody's clean in this world, but what he's willing to do to keep the skeletons buried, that's where it becomes villainous. But it obviously wasn't too above board to even begin with. But we do get quite a few of these scenes in the CIA with Landy and Abbott and they even cut some there were even more in the deleted scenes on the disc where you start to see Landy sniffing around and getting closer to Cox's secret and Cox getting more and more nervous but my focus in this film is born. Well, they, they do keep some of the old players. I didn't even realize they were characters last time. There's this really boyish guy named Danny Zorn. Was he in the last one? Yeah, he hung out with Conklin. He was the one that always ran into Conklin's office and told him the mission failed oh. or that's not going well or something. Yeah, he's back. No Goggins, though. Walton has gone on to better things. They don't have Goggins, but they do have Michelle Monaghan doing the Goggins. She's a famous <laughs> face here with a non-speaking role that I, I think she's called Kim in the credits but I'm like this might be a thing where we just have a future star somewhere in the background of these rooms doing whatever she's doing I'm looking up data and maps and of course we get Nikki back as well that they have to pull her in once Joan Allen's finding out about Treadstone she's pulling in all the people that are alive that are still involved and so is she on a sabbatical in amsterdam she's just getting like high as fuck out there <laughs> what is she doing in amsterdam when, when abbott finds her i don't know because there is no backstory to this character 
This is a character meant to stand around and look brittle. But yes, and it's here again that where Nikki drops a line that there were headaches, there's sensitivity to light, but there was never amnesia with these Treadstone operatives. Right. Born is a rarity here. And so, yeah, they're all going to put their heads together to stop him. And he makes it easy because he doesn't really think that they're going to be looking for him. He's looking for a killer. He gets or tries to get on an airplane in Naples with his own passport wearing no disguises. He just gets flagged. He doesn't know he's a wanted man. Oh, no. He knows exactly. This is a trap he's setting. This is all intentional. What? Yeah, absolutely. He is so smart. He wants to find out who's after him. Uh, I didn't take it that way at all. Oh, no. I took it that way, and it was confirmed on the commentary. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's going there so that he can tap the phones and find out who's behind it. This is how he finds out about Landy. That's true. That is what he did on the Pont Neuf Bridge last time. I, To me, I feel like he had already taken a couple flights from India, so I feel like if he could have, he would have gone all the way to Berlin and, you know, started there. He doesn't know to go to Berlin, and he thinks he's a wanted man because he thinks there's assassins after him from the cia he believes he is hunted right now okay i'm thinking about this so there is nothing to tip him off about where i, I guess the guy was i don't even think he knows he's russian so yeah he has nothing to go on right so this is all his way of pretending to play a victim ah rattling the cages and yeah born does not make a mistake let's just take that as a ground rule he never makes a mistake <laughs> Nikki is going to say that too. They don't make mistakes. Yeah, so he, everything he does is intentional and this is his way of setting a trap, baiting it with himself to find out who the mouse is. And he finds out Landy by hacking a cell phone right there, taking it off of the guard he beats up and hitting redial. <laughs> and that's how he now knows to go to Berlin and who his target is thinking she's the head of Treadstone. Understand, for the first half of this movie or more, he's completely misinformed. He thinks Treadstone's still going. He has no reason to know it's closed down. He thinks she's the new head of it because Conklin's nowhere to be seen. And he thinks they're out to kill him. Why? Well, why'd they kill Conklin? This is just how they clean up their messes. Yeah, and yeah, they, they killed Marie. So he knows that that bullet was meant for him. They didn't need Marie dead. It was for him. And we get sort of a, a reminder about how tough he can be. We've had a lot of running in all of this. We haven't had a lot of the punching and fast uh, hand moves that this man can demonstrate. But once he's pulled into the consulate's office here in Italy... Poor John Nevins, the out-of-his-league interrogator who comes in and is there to get the crap beat out of him and his SIM card hijacked from his cell phone. Yeah, you know he didn't stand a chance. I mean, he's freaking airport security. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like talking to family when he walks in on that cell phone. He doesn't even know he's who he's about to interrogate. They're trying to tell him, you know, people are calling on all, but by the time you know, I mean, I just love that he's like snapping his fingers at the guy. He thinks he has the upper hand. <laughs> he's got the gun. It's, it is an amusing scene in that way because we just know where this is going and, and we want Bourne to do it. Bourne never smiles in this movie, but this is kind of a funny moment. But then after he knows about all of this, he kind of makes an unexpected trip for me in that why he goes to Munich to visit the last remaining Treadstone operative. Is this the same guy at the end of the last one? No. Even weirder, it's not. Yes. 
Oh, okay. This isn't the guy that killed Conklin. No. No, he must have died somehow in between. I don't believe that. I believe that someone messed up and then realized <laughs> that they got it wrong. Because that's what it should be. There's no reason why this shouldn't be Mannheim. That he was an operative in Germany. This is exactly what it needed to be. I don't know why we have Jarda. I do not know uh, why we have a different actor playing it. Maybe they couldn't get the actor back and felt it was better to write a new character. All I know is another thing I've always remembered about this movie is that Bourne can kill with a rolled up magazine. And he demonstrates that well. Yes, the magazine. If the last one was the ballpoint pen... This time it's the magazine. Doesn't he know Prince is dead? Pens, magazines. <laughs> He's not going to have any weapons if he goes out today. I know they're rebooting MacGyver, and I do feel like we get those moments here, like when he pulls the gas line and sticks that magazine in the toaster to, to set a timer for a bomb. Yeah, multiple functions. Not only can you beat somebody senseless with it, but then you use it to blow up the house. I thought this was really great. This was where I really felt like the movie, like, we've seen Bourne fight a lot, but this is the one where he's with an equal, and I really felt like, yeah, he is number one. He is our guy. I really was jazzed by this scene. And I love the way it's done. There's no music to this fight. How often do you see a fight that has absolutely no music, but the first half is just scored by the ringing of the phone? That's what, like, the bell rings to begin the fight is the phone rings, and this guy Jarda takes it as the opportunity to try to attack, and he's as equal a badass. I mean, his hands are tied. Yeah, zip-tied. Yeah, he's still kicking ass against Bourne. It is finally the fight that you want to see Bourne have, I'm sad that Jarda dies so quickly. I, again, it makes me go, why exactly did we have to have this and the last Treadstone agent and all of that? Jarda looked like he was helping. So Bourne could be supreme, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it is the uh, supremacy. It's like Highlander. There could only be one. <laughs> yeah, but it is a good fight and a good start to the real action of this film i mean we want to see him go up against kirill but this guy i'll do for now what's interesting that happens afterwards the dialogue that's going back and forth is that he knows that joan allen's character is wanting him for murders in berlin and he also knows because of his nightmares that he's committed murders in berlin but they can't be the same murders because the ones they're trying to nail him for happened last week and this is Something from his distance past when he was still training to be uh, an assassin. Tight plotting or wonderful coincidence? You decide. I was just about to say, what a coincidence that she's like, Berlin, you killed two people, born, And that could mean what had just happened earlier in this film or in that flashback. Except what she's investigating is related to that flashback, though. So it might make sense that the people who know about it are still in Berlin, maybe? That the secrets would be there. I don't know that it wasn't like they were buried in the hotel room that they had to get them, but it could make sense. It was a file. What we're told is that there was a Russian politician visiting Berlin named Nesky, and there is a file about his death, and there is information that has never seen the light of day, and the common prevailing wisdom was that Nesky was killed in his hotel room by his jealous wife. When in fact, we can already piece together early on, I think, that it must be Bourne because Bourne can remember being there with a gun. So how does Nesky fit in with Yuri and the $20 million? I mean, I understand <laughs> he's going to spill the beans about the $20 million, but 
Huh? All I know is that this was an unauthorized mission. Conklin saying, this is your first mission. Are you ready, soldier? But we're going to find out that this is not on the books as Bourne's first mission. That's all I know <laughs> is how it relates to that other Russian stuff. Yeah, and this would have been around the time in the early 90s when Russia was really going through its transition that we see Nesky actually in a photograph with Yeltsin so there was a lot of free capitalism coming into Russia at that time there would have been oil contracts there would have been that kind of thing being processed that the Weisenhaus Arnie I don't think you know you go with it because it's a movie I don't think it's confusing that we don't have the fine details I think it's fine that we don't need to know any more than the fact that this guy had enough information in his file that it could frame Abbott. Yeah, I, I just think it's a little sloppy. I think it should matter. I think if it was tightly plotted, it would matter. But I'm not going to get hung up because it's not the plot. It's just convolution. And that's that frustrates me when we're going to try to talk through the plot. I feel like a lot of this kind of stuff happens in a James Bond film where... At some point, I'm like, gobbledygook, gobbledygook, okay, what's the cool spy toy? And we do get a cool spy moment with Bourne spying on Landy and calling her and, hey, I want to meet with Nikki. Well, I don't know if we could find her. She's standing right next to you. And then everyone runs to the window to see where Bourne. <laughs> like, those are the kind of moments I love. And that's what I'm expecting in a spy thriller. I think that was a trailer moment because I remember that one real well. It's so good. They do it twice. They're going to do it at the end with her whipping yes. <laughs> back to the window. It's like his thing. I'm like, gotcha. I mean, I would just presume put up blinds at this point. <laughs> if we're hunting Bourne, you're also hunting drapes. <laughs> After that is where Bourne actually acts in a way that I deem unheroic. He's going to kidnap poor Julia Stiles. She's never done anything in two movies to, at all. They did the same thing with Conklin. They didn't listen to him. They got snipers on the roof. And that leads to a question like, I know Angela Merkel got all pissed off when she found out the U.S., the NSA was spying on her and tapped her phones in Germany. Like, can the CIA just put up snipers anywhere they want in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. You know, it was a, a time of uh, working together. I, I don't know. You go with it. I mean, who's going to stop them at this point? I mean, <laughs> keep in mind, they're trying to hunt down people who've killed in Berlin. There have been murders in Berlin. If they say they're going after an internal problem and they're not going after... Hell, they could just use the T word, right? It's terrorists. Okay, put the snipers up. We're good. Yeah, definitely by this point, that would, <laughs> that would open a lot of doors, I would think. And yeah, come on. I mean, we need Nikki to do something here. You're exactly right. She's never mattered. So why not give her at least a crying scene? You know, I feel like Matt Damon finally gets to really do some Ocean Eleven stuff here. Like, you know, has her wait in, in this square when there's a protest going on, which is great cover, makes her get on the tram, you know, sneaks her off of there, sneaks this like, I, again, this is the kind of stuff I want to see. This is the stuff I'm enjoying. I like this. I love the cinematography on this, all the handheld kind of steady cam yes. stuff going through the crowds it really puts you in the action again i think that even better than what lyman was doing that greengrass has taken those ideas and pushed it even more that there is just this sense of man on the street paranoia that comes from having the handheld and moving around and having these shorter edits it's just much more exciting we already know what Bourne is going to learn but we don't know what he's capable of doing to find it out and when he takes her down into the bathroom i don't think he's going 
going to kill her, but I am wondering what he's going to shake out of her. Yeah, I mean, he's yelling so... I mean, he's got reason to be upset, but... I don't know, Julia Stiles, she doesn't look like she could hold her own in a fight, and Matt Damon is dominating her so physically. I'm telling you, she's she's still coming off that high in Amsterdam, too, so she's like, <laughs> she's just gonna give it up. She's like, wait, I have lines in this one? But, I mean, I just feel bad for her. <laughs> this, she's important in this moment because she makes it clear that he's never worked in Berlin. I mean, she complicates it by saying, your first mission was Switzerland, you couldn't have done this job you think you have in Berlin. It makes us question, are Matt Damon's memories reliable? Or is this a false memory? Oh, I never questioned if his memories were reliable. No. I just was like, cover up. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. I mean, admittedly, it's, it poses the idea. I'm not saying it's a very plausible one. I We cut too many times to that Berlin hotel room for me to think that it doesn't mean anything. And that's where he's going to head to next. He's like, I remember the hotel and I'm going to go check into that room. 645. And this is where Abbott really becomes, I, I feel like, the mustache twirling villain that we haven't had in a Bourne movie thus far. Like, we've had this Danny character. You say he was in that last film. Don't remember him. But he's always going over and whispering things to Abbott. And at this point, he takes him down to this room where this explosion happened, where they found Bourne's fingerprints. And he goes through this whole story. You know, there's no way Bourne could have done this. It doesn't make sense. And Abbott straights up kills him there. Yeah, that was, in some ways, telegraphed. I mean, we knew the way that was lingering... Because it is Hannibal Lecter here, Brian Cox, I mean, I just, I know he's up to something bad here. And, you know, when he's like, tell me again how you've come up with this theory that it isn't born and it's a cover up. <laughs> We're like, all right, where's it going to come from? It's a knife. He gets it a knife in the stomach. It's pretty cold, but there's no way out for him at this point. Cox should have been smarter than that. I think he's better than actually doing the wet work himself. Well, I mean, it was sort of sprung on him. This guy came to him and said, hey, I got a theory. Come with me. I haven't told Pam yet. I don't know if he thinks he can get out of it at this point. I think he kind of knows that it's going to be hard to frame Bourne for this one. There's no real good reason to think that Jason would have found Danny. I mean, he tries. That's one of the cut scenes, too, is him with Landy. And Landy's like, he's found dead. And Abbott's like, it must have been born. <laughs> Come again? No, that that was in the film, like where he kind of mumbles and tries to blame it on Bourne, but it's not convincing. Yeah, I, I agree. He must know that he's losing control of the narrative and that that's kind of why he's like, you know what? I'm going to just go back to my hotel room with my gun. And that's where <laughs> uh, Matt Damon is after he has this incredible breakout of room 645 and a whole squad team trying to get him on the street street and he's uh, this was really one of the neater sequences the, the, what it takes to get him on that train you know he's got to jump on a boat and climb in through girders he finally gets hurt too when he jumps on that boat i'm like wow he actually wounded his leg he no longer can run out the way he was he's got a distinctive limp he has to play more to stealth than anything i was having a lot of fun watching these scenes and Again, with the cinematography, it's like sometimes it's even hard to see Damon in it, which helps 
with all of the excitement. I'm looking for him. These people are looking for him. Yeah. But basically, we know he's going to get away, and he does, and he gets back to what feels like should be the climax, right? Confronting Abbott is what this has been building towards. This is the man, in theory, that is responsible for Marie's death, but I guess because he didn't pull the trigger, we're going to have the real climax of the movie in Russia afterwards. But this is sort of the emotional climax with him confronting the head of Treadstone and getting him to confess on tape rather than kill him. Yeah, I mean, it shows again that he's not a killer. He's, you know, you think you've got a gun at Abbott's head. It's a tape recorder. That was a flashback. I'm like, wow, they didn't have (laughs) digital voice memos in 2004. He couldn't use his iPhone to do it. (laughs) Well, keep in mind, I think Bourne is actually buying a lot of this technology. So, you know, he's working with what's around. He was probably in the dumpster knowing him. He's like, hey, I can use this. If I don't kill somebody with it, I'll uh, I'll get a confession. It looks brand new, but yeah, I'm surprised he didn't use it as a weapon. He actually used it as a tape recorder. He didn't, like, pull out the magnetic tape and start tying people's hands up with it. Why not? But, uh, you know, he also mentions that he's not killing him because of Marie. Marie wouldn't want him to. He is learning from her death to be a better person. And I think that, you know, that's big. With Now that he's getting a good sense of what his identity is, who does he want to be? Is this the man that he's going to be resigned to being? Some hostile assassin? I think that this is really nice that he is aspiring to his best self, the self he gave to Marie. But he's never exactly been a homicidal person since coming out of the water. He has killed, but it's always been in self-defense. He's never had somebody's head down on a table and blown their brains out. But this would be the moment to pull that out. (laughs) I gotta say, this is the moment (laughs) you do that in most cases. And the fact that he doesn't, I think that restraint shows you that he's earned it. He's earned being called a hero. I just, I guess I would have liked to have seen him kill in cold blood to see a character turn because Marie doesn't want him to do it. Instead, he evokes Marie's name, I think as much to remind the audience as much as Abbott as, oh yeah, I'm doing all this to avenge my dead girl. I think you're missing a real theme of this movie. It is about remorse and apologizing and how do you atone for the past. How can I miss the thing of apology when it's the last half an hour of the film? I agree. <laughs> like, this is a part of it. I mean, I don't feel like they're just doing it to do it. I do feel if you want to get that cold-blooded murder scene, it's that flashback where he kills the Russian and his wife. This is a newborn. That's not him anymore, so he's got to avoid that. Yeah, I agree. Yes, but does he really have to fly all the way to Moscow and hunt up some woman to apologize for it? I mean, it's a weird choice. I like that moment. Yeah, this is called atonement. Yeah, and again, this goes with that whole, going back to that last film, this whole thing for protecting children. Like, I feel like it's going with that moment. This girl, you know, she's just a teen, a young woman in her early 20s, I'm guessing, by this point. She's thought her whole life that her mother killed her father and then shot herself. Like, yeah, this is telling her the truth so she can understand who her parents are. I feel like this is a key moment for Bourne. And again, I think that if, in fact, the CIA has blood on its hands, if we've done terrible things, we can't just think of ourselves in light of tragedy as victims. I think that is the message that Greengrass is hitting here post 9-11 is we cannot just say we were attacked, we were wrong, we can do anything that we want. We've played roles, we've done terrible things, we all need to be honest about that. And I think that that is in that spirit why this movie ends the way that it does. Because 
yeah, you could have had a much bigger, more action-packed, less remorseful conclusion. But I think that's the message of this movie. Yeah, I mean, Abbott's going to take his own life in front of Pamela when she finds out. Born, we're going to find out Born sent her that tape, and she's going to confront him, and he's going to shoot himself. Yeah, and that just tells me. I, I remember him being in the next movie, so it must be a flashback <laughs> or something. I'm like, they must really not have planned to have a third movie. There's been flashbacks in all these thus far, so why not? <laughs> yeah, I thought he was in the third one, and I'm pretty sure he is. So it's hazy memories. But at any rate, that was a surprise to me. I did not remember him taking himself out. I figured he'd get arrested, but I did not know that he would go out that way. Yeah, and Bourne's been totally cleared by this point, but he's got to go after Carl Urban and Yuri. And look, that was a fun car chase in that last film. I really like this car chase. Yeah. It's definitely a, an improvement of the last week's already excellent car chase. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love this. Why is Yuri still after him? Is it just like professional revenge, professional courtesy? He was hired to kill him and... Uh, covering it up. Yeah, he was supposed to be killed. Yeah, I I don't know how much Yuri knows about what Bourne knows. Maybe he doesn't know Bourne is an amnesiac. Maybe he feels like Bourne could bring his connection to the CIA to light. All I know is that, yeah, he is someone that likes no mess. You know, he wants it cleaned up. He hired this guy to kill Bourne. He didn't do it. I love how he walks into that nightclub. You think it's the middle of the night, the way that it's just <laughs> framed and lit. And I'm like, this has to be like a 2 a.m. Like everyone's drunk. It's just ugly in there. And then he just walks out. It's bright daylight. It's Russia. Everyone's drunk regardless of the time. Yeah, just bright daylight. It's never too early to start your rave, I guess. <laughs> Or too late, whichever way you want to look at it. But here's my question. There, there's a chase that happens. We're going to see Bourne actually get shot by Carl Urban's character. The police surround Carl Urban. And he's like, I'm Secret Service and pulls out a badge. Is he actually Secret Service? Is he just a dirty agent that's been bought off by Yuri? Well, we're going to see the FSB later arrest everyone. I don't really know that I understand that much about Carl Urban other than he's a badass. And I don't think I want to. I think that we've earned the right to have a good popcorn chase in an environment that we don't often get to see although i guess Die Hard did go here in the fifth one <laughs> and yet this may be better than that Die Hard one which is the best part of that film it, it this is not as action oriented or that big blockbuster action oriented type chase but i like I, I don't know the way that taxi just gets dented that matt damon's in and there's something again about the realism of it that i'm buying yes i really can forget that all these drivers are stunt drivers and really think, oh my God, there's going to be like an 18 car pileup because this taxi cab's going sideways down this tunnel. It's really got an energy. And yeah, when Carl Urban's taken out, I mean, the way he takes him out, Bourne is going full bore and yet he's going to take a huge hit as well as anyone. You, you do not walk away unscathed from going 40, 50 miles an hour right into a cement post, even if you're pushing a car in between you. I mean, he's been taking some injuries this whole thing, ever since the bridge and the bullet wound and everything else. The bullet wound, I'm like, are we even going to see him bleed? They finally show that. Every so often, this movie borders on becoming that action movie cliche. It was almost like 
Governor Ventura, I ain't got time to bleed. It might be a little tidy, it might be a little Hollywood, but I think that this movie, being so grim, we really needed to feel like, yeah, the bad guys got arrested, and Carl Urban is dead, and that Bourne got his apology, and is on the road to being the man that he wants to be. He's actually on the road to finding out who he really was. That he, We actually get the words David Webb here in the coda here in New York City. Yeah, made me think of that TV movie again. <laughs> and this is the first time he's been in the States, right? That At least that we've seen. True. I hadn't put it that way, but it feels a little Silence of the Lambs, yes? I'm like, hello, Clarice. <laughs> you know, it's like the end where Jodie Foster's getting the award and all of a sudden like, oh, you again? I thought we were done with you. But again, even Pam is like, I owe you an apology, but I officially can't give you one. So here's who you were. You were born in Missouri in 71. Good luck to you. And we get some Moby again. We see him <laughs> off on a new adventure. You know, they had another ending here. And man, they really want to do it. They filmed it for the first movie and they filmed it for the second. The first one, Brian Cox was going to him and saying... We have jobs for you. And then in an alternate ending for this one, it was face to face. And Landy's like, we want to bring you back in and get you back to work. <laughs> they just never use it, but they keep making it. I don't know what Bourne would be if it didn't have cynical ideas about people in power. Yes, if they could just hire him and he's just a normal spy in an adventure. They could send him after Bin Laden. It would totally throw me. I mean, I do feel like it's just in this franchise's DNA that we are not to trust the CIA and anything that they might suggest born do in his future well and this isn't even though his initials are jb this isn't james bond he's not here to do a mission for the government i i don't know if we'll get that in a sequel i hope not because i don't feel like that's what a born movie should be it should be about him trying to uncover his past but is there any more to tell indeed jacob stewart do you recommend the born supremacy Jacob? You know, like I said at the beginning, I went in thinking, oh, this is pretty much on par, like, with that Mission Impossible. I'm glad, I'm glad this is no Mission Impossible 2. Like, I feel like this might even be a little bit of a step up from that 2002 original Matt Damon born film. You know what? I, I think you said it last time, Stuart. These are fun summer films, and I still feel that way. I still don't feel like they have a whole lot of weight. I think Greengrass and, and this writing team may have tried to tap into the politics of the time a little bit better, but I still don't feel like, oh, these are weighty, important films. They're, again, fun spy films for me. Ocean's Eleven with more danger. That That's how I kind of view these films. But yeah, that's still a recommend. It's a fun film to watch. Stuart. I couldn't agree more. To me, this is an even stronger effort, mostly because I believe Damon's a little more confident in the role. He's with the director that's even more certain about what he wants from the action, and we really get a conclusion here. I know that this is only part two of a trilogy, and then there's two sequels beyond that, but I do feel like this could be the end, and so it does have a nice climactic vibe to it. I, I do agree. This is a better second night than Richard Chamberlain's second night miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could stop right here, and I, I do wonder. I mean, I think that... You know, they claim that they weren't planning sequels. I, I call bullshit on that. Universal was planning sequels, but maybe Greengrass didn't think he was going to get another shot at this. And this feels like a good gripping conclusion to the character. And so for that reason, yeah, I, I really feel like it has more of an impact. That said, 
like Jacob said, I don't think that you can ask too much from this movie. It might make parallels about the times. It might tie into some tragic events. But mostly this is about having fun. It's a popcorn movie. And if you end up forgetting it like Jason Bourne, you're totally forgiven. It's made to be that way. You only remember that it gave you pleasure. You don't need to know all the fine details. And so I'm excited to continue to go on, but I'm not seeking any more answers. It's a strong recommend, but some skepticism about our future. You only need to remember it gave you pleasure. You don't need to remember the fine details. There's just a drunken nightclub story in there somewhere. Yeah, in Russia with Carl Urban. <laughs> We've all had that kind of night, right? <laughs> I'm going to go three for three. This is definitely a recommend. I don't know that I'm as gushing as you two are, and EJ, you were both a little bit reserved in that regard. My feeling is this one has some things it does much better than that first film. I really do love the cinematography here, although I never feel we get the gorgeous vistas that we got in that first one. You know, the there was never the time where I just soak in the Europe. You know what I'm saying? They don't have a shot long enough. Exactly. It's all <laughs> shaky, blurry. So I like the energy for a spy film and a more action-y film, but I'm never wowed by the framing and all of that. It's all more run and gun, it feels like. And the action is definitely stepped up a notch. I loved that car chase last time, and this one, I mean, just makes that look amateurish. And I do think you're right when you say Damon's more suited for the role. But the plot of this one just feels a little bit more convoluted, contrived, whatever C word you want to use, crappy. And so I enjoy watching the film. I really don't enjoy thinking about the film. <laughs> no, that's fair. Whereas last week, I enjoyed thinking about it a little bit more. So it's definitely a recommend. It's really worth watching, but I just think it could be a bit tighter. And I think that this is the result of where I started. When you have five years to make your first born film and you have two years from idea of we're going to do it to being on screen for the second, things get rushed. It happens. I'm hopeful that because... We have three years between this one and the next one, and odds are they already had the thought of a trilogy in mind. After all, Ludlum had written three books. Yep. Might as well do three movies. I'm hopeful that Greengrass being now in the series a bit more, Gilroy coming back again to write the screenplay, that we're going to see something a little bit tighter with even more ramped up action, but a script I can enjoy deconstructing once more. I'm just hoping that they don't do anything in that Ludlum Ultimatum novel. Anything at all. Don't <laughs> take from it. I don't think there's any danger of that. The plot couldn't be the same. That's the Stuart Ultimatum. Don't do the book or is it not recommend? <laughs> yeah, that would be the Ultimatum. Boy, it does not get better in the books. I'll leave it at that, but if you want to know more or what that means, join me over at Books and Not and join us all next week for the conclusion to the Bourne trilogy. I'm intrigued as hell. I would, if, even if I wasn't editing the shows, I'd be listening to them because I want to hear about this. <laughs> and join us Friday if you can, because we're beginning the Platinum series with a movie that we have been wanting to do 
for I don't know how many years and finally have a good reason to. Ghostbusters 1984 will be released to Platinum Donors this Friday. Yeah, let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things at the Platinum Donation. I love Ghostbusters. I'm so excited to be discussing Ghostbusters. One. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I mean, people are lambasting this new one, but I mean, come on, there's still Ghostbusters 2 we're going to have to get through, but I'm excited for 1984 <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah, I don't know how the next two weeks are going to go, quite frankly. I don't know what it will be, but... I do know that, yeah, we're, it's rare that we get to deal with touchstones as big as that 1984 horror comedy. Did so much for comedy and horror and Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver. We're going to discuss it all, and I, we hope you can join us. You can find the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. And remember, these shows are only available till the end of July. Then they get put in the big trap in the basement of the now playing firehouse and we're not letting the epa release it yeah exactly there will be no big explosion into the ether unless zool comes and forces it so thank you for listening thank you to everyone who's donated to keep this show going week after week we've got a big fall we're planning and and we're only able to do it thanks to donors and until next week this is where it started for us and this is where it ends. Do you remember now? I remember. I remember everything. I'm no longer Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Born Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Congratulations, soldier. Training is over. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new Born movie review leading up to this summer's new installment. You talk about this stuff like you read it in a book. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Jason Bourne movies with other listeners. Everyone signs in and out. This is a serious place, serious work. It's not just to come in whenever you like. You're right. You're right. We didn't sign in. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Send them in to follow. Tell them to keep their distance. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. You think that Jason Bourne was the whole story? Sorry, there's a lot more going on here. Treadstone was just the tip of the iceberg. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. That was a D-track team we sent in there. I don't know what that means. It means they're good at what they do. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. Now, two years we're scribbling in that notebook. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Read, David, read. Everything you can get your hands on. I thought maybe we could help each other. How's that? Support from listeners like you. Help keep now playing, operating. What's this? Well, it's what money I've got. It isn't much, but it's a start. I don't need it, you do. Anyway, I'm stuck with you now. I've got an investment in you. <laughs> 
You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I don't suppose it'll do me much good to cry for help, huh? Not much. You can also show your love of Now Playing by shopping at our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Get in the store. There's someone on your tail. Get in the store. Now Playing's Born Retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. I told you we'd clean this up. It will be clean. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Well, why don't you go upstairs and book a conference room? Maybe you can talk him to death. Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers or copyright holders of this film. The Jason Bourne films are the property of Universal Studios, and no infringement is intended. What is he doing? Is it a game? Is he warning us? Is it a threat? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Do you really expect me to believe that? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I can't believe it myself. How could I expect you to? The insanity is... It's the truth. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think that's a decision you can make. Jason Bourne is dead. You hear me? He drowned two weeks ago. You're gonna go tell him that Jason Bourne is dead, you understand? Where are you gonna go? I swear to God, if I even feel somebody behind me, there is no measure to how fast and how hard I will bring this fight to your doorstep. I'm on my own side now. Damon and Greengrass have been just completely joined at the hip like that Bad Matt Damon movie Stuck on You ever since this one. It's like Greengrass will come back if Damon does. Damon will come back if Greengrass does. So something worked. Man, Stuck on You, you never fail me with your movie references that you fit in. (laughs) So Abbott gets the Russian oil baron to send a hitman to end the deal. Sent in is... How do I say this name? Kirill? You know, they never actually say it. Or they say it with a Russian accent. So, I guess. Decide who he was going to be. That Whatever goes on with these treadmill... Treadmill? (laughs) Treadstone. Am I the only one who got big Manhunter flashbacks with her and Brian Cox, Hannibal Lecter here together? Came out later. I didn't think about it watching the movie. It was only later that I'm like, oh, yeah, they did do that. You know. No, I only think of Face Off when I think of Joan Allen. I still haven't seen that one. <laughs> still not tempted. We'll fix it. We'll yeah. fix it. <laughs> that is one I would not mind doing. <laughs> oh! You know, like I said at the beginning, I went in thinking, oh, this is pretty much on par, like, with that Mission Impossible. I'm glad, I'm glad this is no Mission Impossible 2. Chimera! What's that? Chimera! Bellerophon! Yeah, ugh. <laughs> it's amazing that you remember that, even. I know! It's like, I do. <laughs> They're on the run. With the initials, you're making me think of Kingsman and Jack Bauer and the, the dog. <laughs> 
If we're hunting Bourne, you're also hunting drapes. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. That one was like a slow burn for me. <laughs> it did take a second. <laughs> Yeah. <sighs>